Hey, I just want to welcome each one of you here today. This, this is an amazing, a wonderful, and a terrific time that we get to do. And, and that is to gather together, to be able to worship, to be able to uh, hear from God, and to leave with different perspective and different hearts. We're in the book of Philippians. So if you would, you can turn your flat screens or your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. Let, let me start off this way. Maybe you've never heard this. But Paul is chained. I know some of you are saying, you know, Rick, if this is the last time I hear this, this is going to be pretty good. But, but the truth is, I, I can't get over it. Paul is chained. Paul is worried. Wow, okay, let's not use that. Paul is waiting waiting to go before Caesar. And not even for a week or a month, but years, up to four years, waiting every single day, chained to a soldier, wondering, is this the day? Is this the day? Do I get to see Caesar? Do I get to stand before Caesar today? It didn't happen for a while. So one of the things Paul did was write some letters to some churches that he started or had some influence in. He wrote letters to the church at Ephesus, and he wrote to his friend uh, Philemon, and he, and he wrote a letter to the church at Colossae. But he also wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. Oh, he loved this church. And we've been spending time in this letter. Hearing from Paul, not even understanding the joy that kind of, well, oozes from him. Why, why is he so joy? I'm good. Thank you. <laughs> this is so good. All right. He cannot believe all the things that God is doing. Stop. He's chained, seeing different people, waiting and waiting. But his perspective is different. It'd be so different for me. Wouldn't you be impatient like after an hour? Okay, some of you would take a week. But again, you'd, you'd probably just, hey, uh, Mr. Soldier, um, like... Hey, what's in the agenda today? Shut up, Paul. Okay, just wondering. Well, since we're here, I'd like to tell you about somebody that just changed my life. Oh, boy, I knew this was coming. And this would just happen day after day, hour after hour. And every once in a while, he would have opportunities for friends to come and to care for him. But his joy just kept spilling over. And so he did write some letters, and, and this is one of his letters. He loves this church deeply and wanted their lives to matter. He knew they could live above situations and circumstances. He knew that they could experience abundant living, no matter what situation or circumstance that they were in. Oh, he wanted to reassure them that they didn't just have to feel like victims, 
Paul knows the blessing of walking with God, and there is nothing like it. So today, we actually close up our study. Paul pens his last thoughts. He thanks the church for their generosity. He teaches them a lesson. He gives them a promise, or actually two of them, and reminds them of a goal. But before we jump in, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that, I guess, Paul knew you in a way that changed his whole perspective. Lord, in many ways, we want what Paul has. And the truth is, we have what Paul has. But sometimes it doesn't show. Sometimes there's a disconnect. Sometimes we walk around purposeless, a little bit crabby, a little bit self-focused, and hoping that life will get better. God, we thank you for Paul. We thank you for his intimacy with you. And we thank you that you have preserved this letter for us. We pray this day, Father, for your church, your church that is all over this world, your church that is representing you, that is salt and light in the community. Some, Father, in very desperate and dangerous and difficult scenarios. Father, we ask that you would advance your kingdom, that your kingdom would come. We pray, dear Lord, that you would be glorified. We pray for the local churches in our area, those that are proclaiming and equipping. We pray for new hope and for Grace Point and for Casa. God, these are all churches within a stone's throw of us. They love you. And we know, God, that you are using them in their communities. We pray for our church. We pray for those who are downstairs, those who are teaching. We pray for the ministries that are being prepared for. We pray for those that every week meet in order to encourage and strengthen those on the journey. God, we are so grateful to be part of your family and so grateful to gather together. I hope we never lose that joy of remembering, Lord, how wonderful it is to praise you in a community, to be able to connect with others on our journey. God, we ask today as as we close up this study that you would be glorified. We pray, Father, that you would teach us, help us understand And may you give us power and authority to live life differently. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. As I said, I'd like you to turn to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 10 through 23. If you don't have a Bible or not available to you, you can follow along on the screen behind me. But we're going to read, or I'm going to have read for you, Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. 
How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing, or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They are a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all who belong to Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you their greetings. And all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul begins with a thank you note. If I would do paraphrase, especially verses 10, 15, 16, 17, and 18, I would probably say this. I praise God for your generosity, for the gifts you sent me via Epaphroditus, because it shows your care for me has been rekindled. During my early years, your faithful financial support had enabled me to share the gospel and plant churches all over Macedonia. Your generosity will bear fruit, and you will bring reward. You know, Paul in this section never explicitly says thank you directly to the Philippians but actually praises God who worked in the Philippian believers' hearts. Paul is grateful that the Philippian believers responded to God's promptings after being disconnected for about 10 years. You know, I think one of the things that Paul understood very clearly was that all of the gifts and the talents that each one of us have are given to us by God's grace, period. And so we have choices all the time how to invest those gifts, those treasures. Paul was so grateful for the gifts. But it's cool that he didn't thank them. 
He said, I thank you, God. I praise you, God. You're the one that moved among the people. You are the one that prompted them. You are the one that encouraged their generosity. Paul is excited that the church is bearing fruit and pleasing God. No wonder Paul thought this church was special. Any church that pleases God has got to bring a smile to the leadership. The Philippian church were models of giving. Paul is a model of receiving. We should probably pay some close attention to both. In fact, there are some key lessons, I think, about giving. First of all, churches are to care for their leaders and ministries. You know, it's interesting. When God gives folks the opportunity to be able to be fed and nourished and encouraged, whether it's a pastor or whether it's a leader, that each of them are receiving something from the Almighty God. You see, when a person is receiving sound instruction, which leads to life and godliness, and when a person is receiving care, they have the privilege and the responsibility of supporting the mission of the church and the care for their leaders. You see, generosity brings reward and produces fruit and pleases God. Paul wanted the Philippians to bear fruit. He wanted them to profit spiritually. In fact, Paul was convinced that their financial sacrifice will produce fruit and give reward. If you look at verse 17, Paul says this, I I don't say this because I want a gift from you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward. Or literally, I want you to bear fruit. I want you to blossom. These gifts are a sweet-smelling sacrifice. They're acceptable. They're pleasing to God. In fact, later on in verse 18, he just says that. They are, these gifts, a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing. You know, sometimes, and I know especially as a pastor, and we come to certain portions of scripture, we, we look and say, Lord, is this really what you want me to teach? Is this a direction you really want me to go? So many times when money or support or that type of a subject comes up is that we begin to squirm. But actually, pastors should feel free to talk about generosity because every pastor should care about the fruitfulness of God's people. I believe teachers have a responsibility to see that people grow spiritually and invest eternally. Jesus was clear about teaching, about money and possessions, especially during his time when he spoke about it on the Sermon on the Mount. He would often say, hey, Seek first God's kingdom in the context of giving and investing in material possessions. 
that God would just use this and, and say, you know what I want you to understand is that as you seek first my kingdom, you are actually investing in eternity. You see, a healthy flock will want to see growth and faithfulness in every area of their lives, including financial stewardship. I remember as an early pastor, um, my dad sat me down, and he would say something like this, you know, Rick, don't ever apologize about encouraging people to be generous. I said, well, Dad, I've seen that modeled. You ask all the time. This is unbelievable. I mean, I get it. I go, I just resisted a little bit, and he, and he looked at me. And he goes, I just want you to know that people have a privilege now to be able to invest in what's going to matter forever. He goes, don't be afraid to encourage people to give financially. Now, I think, again, leaders need to be able to hold people accountable because we do care for God's people and because we will all give an account for shepherding them. One of the hardest conversations, I think, at times in our elder board is to be able, as we chat through, how can we encourage our flock to grow? What are the questions that we need to ask them? How can we walk alongside of them so that they are walking with God better, more consistently? One of the things that I share with them is ask about generosity. (laughs) You want me to what? Just ask how they are doing in growing in their generosity. You don't have to ask about their bank accounts. You don't have to ask how much they give. You don't have to ask any of those things. But a mark of somebody walking with God becomes more and more generous. It's a natural and a normal red flag that if you or I are becoming less generous or more stingy or more self-focused, that perhaps we are not walking with God and listening to him. See, one of the principles all the way through Scripture is not that you give a certain amount. It's just that every time we have an opportunity, whether it's our time or our treasures, we go to God, we talk to God. Hey, God, is this some way... that you want me to respond? Do you want me to serve here? Do you want me to give? How much do you want me to give? God, my time and my funding, what I have in the bank, that's all yours. You you gave it to me. How, How would you like me to spend it? How would you like me to invest this, God? I think you're gonna find out throughout all the scriptures that giving flat out pleases God. I think it's a conversation that realistically we all ask ourselves quite often. And Paul was so grateful for the gift, not that he wanted to have another gift, but Paul was so grateful that these folks showed they cared and and that 
they were encouraging Paul. Now the lesson. Let's look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. This is an amazing lesson. And it's kind of unique because Paul, who is a pastor, and even Paul, who's writing this letter, he always wants to teach something. But you know what's so amazing is this. Paul is teaching something that he himself is learning. So let's read, starting in verse 11. Not that I was ever in need, but I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or an empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. You see, contentment is expected. But it is learned and it is a process. Let me say that again. Contentment is expected. But it is learned, and it's a process. The first thing I think Paul is saying is that contentment is unconnected to our circumstances. Paul stresses in this text that his contentment doesn't increase or decrease based on his material provision. Paul is confident that God will give him what he needs. So he has learned to be content with whatever God gives him. He said, sometimes I'm hungry. Other times, I'm full. Sometimes I have a lot. Other times, not so much. But I know God is giving me what I need, so I am going to learn to be content. Or another word might be satisfied. We also realize, and and this is pretty clear, is that contentment flows from union with our Savior. It's us depending on Jesus. Now, Paul says this actually a couple times. He says, Paul has learned the secret. Contentment, Christian contentment, is rooted in our relationship with Christ. It flows from our union and our communion from Jesus or with Jesus. Paul says this, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Wow. There are a lot of plaques out there. There's a lot of cups out there. There's a lot of t-shirts out there with this verse on it. And, And I don't want to be too critical. But this particular verse, one of the most quoted Bible verses in the Scripture, is also one of the most misapplied verses in the Bible. 
Paul isn't making a categorical, comprehensive statement here. He isn't saying, I can break these chains, I can body slam these guards, and I can run out of prison through Christ who strengthens me. But oftentimes, that's how it's used. Oh, oh, you can do that. Christ will give you strength. Or you can do that. And, and hey, 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 here's the promise. Actually, that's not the promise, uh, just so you know. What Paul is saying is this. Because of my union with Christ and the strength that he gives me, I can be content in all things or in any situation. Now, that's still an unbelievable promise, folks. But what Paul is talking about is that you and I have the ability to have the strength to be content with much or with little. That's pretty cool because being content or satisfied in life will literally change your life. Paul uses the word learned in our text two different times. Now, that should probably get your attention. First of all, he's probably helping us understand how important this is. You just don't inherit this attitude of contentment. Hey, if you've ever been around a three or four or five-year-old, have you noticed that? You know? Have you ever noticed when your teenager actually comes to faith that sometimes contentment doesn't follow very quickly? Have you noticed that? Oh, forget your kids. Have you noticed you? Really? Well, if I had, if I could, if I only had more money, if my boss was different, if my car wasn't so old, oh, my word, it just keeps coming, right? Contentment. Not only do I think it's important that Paul says he learned, but I also think he's trying to help us understand that it takes time to learn. In chapter 2, Paul had already exhorted the church to work hard on showing the results of their salvation. We spent a whole session looking at this. And what Paul was realistically saying is, as you walk with God, you are going to display the characteristics of God. God is going to chip away all the things that don't magnify himself, that don't represent him well. But when you walk with God, there are some results. You're going to talk differently. You're going to act differently. Work hard on displaying these things, these gracious things that God's doing in your life. And what I want to say is contentment is one of these results. As you walk with God, you will be more contented. God gives you, literally in this verse, the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Which means when you walk with God, you have the desire and the power to do what pleases him. You have the capacity to live a life free from complaining. 
We've chatted with that. But complaining is the opposite of contentment. Have you noticed that? So realistically, as we walk with God, or as we do life, if we find, well, our pattern becoming more ungrateful, and if we start complaining more, maybe these are all red flags saying, you know what, I'm not drawing my nourishment from God. I'm not walking with God the way I ought. We can say, okay, I'm going to try. I won't complain anymore. Well, that doesn't really last long right? It just doesn't. But as we walk with God and we start to see how God in his sovereignty is working in our lives, we begin to accept things differently. Paul was content because he knew the times and the seasons and the opportunities of life are controlled by a sovereign God. Who, according to Ephesians chapter 1, makes everything work out according to his plan. Thereby, this causes us to recognize that everything that happens to us works together. Everything that happens to a person who knows Jesus works together for the good of those who love God and are called according to their purpose for him. You see, contentment is this unbelievable faith that God really is in control. That he's given you what you need. That he is absolutely the wise one knowing what is best for you and for me. You see, a confident trust in God's providence is foundational to contentment. A contented person is confident in God's providence, satisfied, independent from circumstances, strengthened by divine power, and preoccupied with the wellness of others. Even so, The Apostle Paul, at the end of this text, just says, hey, you've really done well. You've supported me, you've encouraged me, and you've blessed me. Now Paul talks about two promises, one which we already discovered. But there's two promises. One comes in verse 13, and one comes in verse 19. Let me read them. Verse 13. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Verse 19. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. The first promise. Christ's strength will enable you to be content in every situation. Bingo. Promise. That's there. The second promise though. The same God that supplies my needs, Paul says, will supply your needs. That's what God says. Now, Paul now encourages the Philippians with a magnificent God promise. Paul assures them that God will also supply all their needs out of his infinite resources the same way that 
God has provided his needs. You know, Paul didn't promise his kids or the church at Philippi that God will provide for their greed, but that God will provide for their need. And I would like to say that although Paul is... is primary purpose of writing this is to talk about material provision. We shouldn't limit the application to just this dimension. God also supplies every spiritual need, including the ability to be content and to find sufficient strength in Christ. Maybe some of your minds are going over to Psalm 23 at this moment. But Paul is saying that the good shepherd will provide everything we need to live. You know, I pray Psalm 23 every single day. There might be a few days that that I don't. But the majority of the time, it is so early in my day. It is, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. So even if you don't memorize the whole thing, just memorize verse 1. The Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. He will take care of you. This is Paul and James writing this out, you know. Wow. Then Paul shares his goal, his goal in life. Look at verse 20. It's so short, but so powerful. Now, he's ending his time. All glory to God our Father forever and ever. Amen. Paul's goal and actually his reason to live is to magnify, is to glorify God. Again, if you've been around this uh, arena much. We, we talk a lot. Glorify is sometimes a word that's just really hard to understand. I, I try to transfer that word out to mirror. We are to mirror God well wherever we go. We're to glorify. We're going to point people to Jesus. We're going to point out how wonderful and gracious and amazing he is. And how by God's grace he's chipping all the things that don't mirror him well in my life. And oh man, there's a lot of those. So that when I walk into a room or when I deal with a certain person or when I go home and see my wife It's not Rick with crabby pants. It's Jesus working, chipping away, looking every single day a little bit more. Oh, if Rick walks with God, he's going to reflect God differently. If he doesn't, it's going to be Rick with crabby pants. 
Now may God, Paul says, receive all the glory. Be magnified forever and ever. In other words, what's so cool? He's saying, hey, you have the ability right now to magnify God. This is my prayer. I want you. The goal is wherever you go, you get to reflect Jesus. But not only that, may God receive glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. We're going to close with a song. Not this moment. I, I just have a few more moment, minutes. But, but in just a little bit, we're going to close with a song that some of you might think our worship leaders are slow. In other words, uh, we close with the same song every single week. Like, what is the problem? Aren't there some new songs out there? But the song is Christ be magnified. And honestly, almost every week that I talked with Brendan, we talk about the message, we talk about where this would go, we talk about, and Brendan would just go, oh, I, I think we should sing Christ be magnified again. And I said, yeah, I, I don't know if there's a better song for this, this letter. Then Paul says goodbye. I, I don't know if he ever saw these folks again. It's, uh, it's unlikely he did. But in verses 21 through 23, give my greetings to each of God's holy people, all those who belong to Christ Jesus and the brothers who are with me send their greetings and all the rest of God's people send you greetings too, especially those in Caesar's household. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. He's just saying, hey, we, did, we, we are so grateful for you. I, I think because what Paul is saying, I've told everybody about this church. We've gone through names. I'm so grateful. And so we just want to say hi to you. All the guys that hang out with me in my prison ward. All those different things. But you know what? He just says, the brothers that are with me. I think one of the destructive things that happened during COVID is that we begin to accept living life separately in so many ways. And I'm not saying it wasn't right. I'm not saying it wasn't healthy for that time or, or anything. But I know that some of us got in some habits and started to learn how to do life without others. And it's never how the community of God operates. Just so you know, Never. It isn't. It was so encouraging to me. Here's Paul. He's literally chained, and he's still got brothers around him. He invited them. Once again, we see that the apostle Paul rarely lives an isolated life. He lived his Christian life in community even when he was in prison. We encourage folks to join others on this journey. I, I do it, and you're going to probably hear exactly some of the same words at the end of the service. And yet, so many are okay with just doing life by yourself. I encourage you to look at that differently. You, you know what's exciting here, too, is that the brothers in Caesar's household send their greetings I, I got to tell you this, is that the gospel was being 
well presented, but the influence was going everywhere. And I think in some ways, I think he's even referring to the soldiers. He says, you know, some came to faith. Some are sharing their faith. But I just want you to know all those believers, those who are serving in Caesar's household, those are part of the Roman Empire, those are part of the Roman culture, those even in part of the army. Hey, we all send our greetings to you. Wow. And that's it. So that's how you're going to close? No. It's been 12 weeks. And I just have to ask you this question. As, as I wrap up, hasn't this letter been good for you? For the last three months, it's been hard for me to think of the lessons and think of the example and, and be convicted about what God wants to do and wants to change in my life. But the thing that shouted to me over and over and over again is that everything, everything, everything flows from a rich relationship with Jesus. Joy and contentment. But when I walk with God, when I stay connected with God, it doesn't matter about the circumstances. It doesn't matter about the material possession. It does not matter. I have Jesus. And so I'm not complaining. I'm not worrying. Life is different. It's because of my friend and my Savior and my God. What about the fruit of our salvation? As we've, as we've listened and, and responded to the Holy Spirit convicting us, saying, you know, as I walk with you, Lord, you're changing me from the inside. And I do get to display the salvation which you've given me. Maybe some of you have been inspired to share the gospel more often, to tell others how Jesus has changed your life and given you purpose. Maybe for others, as Paul focused on the unity of the church and how important it was for brothers and sisters to be together serving one another out of love, we grew in areas of humble service and recognize again how important it is for us to work together. We learned how to respect leaders differently. And the promises of God's peace and provision with an incredible eternity coming do you believe all that was in one letter? And then because certain things were so important, he kept repeating them. Philippians, I, I don't want you to live a dull life. I don't want you to live a life that's not filled with purpose. 
I want you to experience who God is. I want you to be able to share this life-giving news to others. I want you to go in every part of the world and be able to express how great and wonderful our God is. Because if you walk with God, you're going to be different. You're going to be content. You're going to be satisfied. You're not going to complain. Wow. Because that's what Jesus does to all of us. Would you bow your heads, please? I'm going to ask you a question. And as you look over these last 12 weeks, and and maybe you've just even been here, maybe this is your first week. But what I would ask is this. Is if this letter has been good for you, if God has reminded you of the blessings and the secret of growing as we've talked about joy and contentment we talked about all the different things that the apostle Paul encouraged and challenged and exhorted these believers If this letter has been good for you, if God has used this letter in your life like he's used in my life, if there has been a strengthening and a conviction, if there have been areas that have changed in your life because you've heard Paul's heart in this letter, would you stand I'd like to pray for you in just a moment. But would you, would you stand if God has used this letter in your life? I know some of you are incapable of standing. I do. But I guess I wonder. I wonder why you're not. I can't see everybody who is and not. But hasn't God talked to you? Hasn't God changed something in your life? What would keep you from standing right now? No one's looking. Father, we thank you We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your servant, Paul. 
We don't understand how much he loves you. But in some ways, we want to love you like that. God, not everyone who's been here every single week is here today. And I know you've used this letter, your word to us. And, and I know people are different. I, I know you are working. But I want to pray especially, Father, for those who are standing, whether they're at home or whether they're here, right here. Folks that said, God, you're changing me. My perspective is different. My heart is different. My behavior is different because I have a relationship with you. Maybe there's folks right here, God, that just say, I need you more. Because that's your prayer. Lord, Paul poured out his heart in chapter 3. And the thing he said is, I, I just want to know you more. So God, whether we're standing right now or whether we're sitting, I pray that that would be our prayer, that we would get to know you more, that you would have your way in our life, that you would send out an army of people who are connected with you, listening to you, being salt and light. God, would you start with those who are standing? Would you change our neighborhood? Would you change our world? God, we need you. And we love you. Please be seated. And we ask, dear God, that as we leave today, that you would be honored in our conversation in our actions. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if all of you would stand and let's finish praising our great God.